All right, Pete, another coffee, another COVID. Yeah. My goodness. Uh, I am going to preface because I, I'm not as controlling of my words right now. So, A, I'm not a school employee. That's correct. I Any opinion I share is of my own opinion and not necessarily yours or anybody that might be connected to the school district. I'm going to try to stay calm and quiet, <laughs> but yep. I do want to, uh, if I get sidetracked, uh, let it be known that they're purely my own opinion. Absolutely. So with that, can you give us the latest updates on what's going to be happening for Monday, I think? Yeah, Monday kids are here. Okay. Um, and to be honest, there's not much that's changed. Okay. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, purely from this, for, if I'm a parent in the district, there has been nothing new that has come down the pipe that I need to be aware of for my kids. Okay. Um, I think everybody's aware that the biggest news uh, that came out was a little over um, a little over a week ago when the governor announced that all K-12 staff had to be vaccinated. Right. Right. So all school employees have to be vaccinated. Uh, they have to be fully vaccinated by October 18th. It's exactly the same mandate that he put on all other state employees. Yep. So, and quite frankly, that's, that's, that's something we're dealing with. It, it's, it's regardless of how you feel about mandates, it's simply something else now that the school needs to be responsible for monitoring and checking to be in compliance with the state that quite frankly, you know, it seems like most of the things I've done over the past 18 months with COVID, they, they were, there wasn't a chapter in the book about that. So right. um, it's, it's one more thing. Um, I, uh, I think if anybody knows me, I typically am a, I'm a glass half full guy. Um, I hope this contributes to the safety of kids and the safety of staff. That's okay. nothing political, okay. nothing whatever side you're on, anything like that, it's whatever actions happen, I have to preface with, if it makes any difference for the safety of kids and staff, I deal with it. Yeah, school, the kids are priority. Kids are why we're all, why we're all here and why people get in the business, so safety's first. Excellent, excellent. Um, is the district planning to have a vaccination uh, pop-up or something like that on any one of the school campuses? You know, we had one at the end of last year um, at the high school. Okay. Um, we were planning that. one at the middle school. It was right after the the uh, approval for, for high school age kids happened on an emergency basis. And now, of course, the, the age for kids is all the way down to 12 years old. Yeah, Pfizer just got approved for 12 and up, right? Correct. Um, so right now there's nothing planned. I think one of the things that that people, I, that I hope they understand is, you know, again, and I'm talking from a, from a school standpoint, we're not a, you should or shouldn't do this. We're gonna give people opportunities. And if it makes sense to have something local where people don't have to drive to Queensgate or right. Kennewick to the Department of Health, then we could offer something in our schools that does not imply whatsoever we would ever do anything 
uh, related to an immunization or vaccine without a parent. Yeah, they'd have to sign they off. They have to sign off, and, and quite frankly, we'd like them present if possible. Now, right. I know that doesn't always work, um, but I mean, short term, we have nothing planned. Okay. Um, the, and I think right now the status on vaccines, you know, as we're talking on you know, August 26 is a lot better than when, when we were talking about opening it up to, to 16 and older, because at that point, you know, the state was still dictating who was in first in line, who was second in line. Right now, it's pretty much a free for all. <laughs> so please use them before they go to waste. Yeah. And if, if folks have wanted their kids to get vaccinated and they were adamant about it, they could have already done it. Right. Um, but we still do have a population and this is true not just for vaccinations, but it's true for virtually anything in, the, in Benton City that sometimes it's simply easier to bring services to Benton City than it is to expect anybody to kind of like our previous meeting, get on a, on a bi-hourly transit stop and head to the, that's, that's a half day, if not a full day endeavor to get on the transit and go into town. Yeah, for me, an to be, when I was eligible, it would have taken me five hours. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that was why I was asking, is there going to be yep. something done local? Yeah. And one of the nice things too, is even, you know, with the, with the numbers of vaccines available, I have no doubt that, uh, the local clinic here is probably going to have some of the same opportunities. And if they're yeah, able sure. to, to handle the, the load, then by all means, that's, they're better able to do their business, but you know, I think it's a, it's a good sign when the Department of Health is ready to send trained individuals, medical professionals out. And it's simply a matter of if they ask for a space, I'd be happy to talk to them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, don't, I live, what, a block from them? And I forgot all about the clinic here. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, <coughs> you mentioned the, our concern with the teachers and staff. Are, I know that you've got all sorts of fun rules there. Are we doing okay with teachers and bus drivers? Yep, right now, right now, today, today, twelve thirty <laughs> on the twenty sixth, we're doing okay. Okay. Um, we've got a majority of staff hired. Uh, we're still looking for two teachers. Um, they're in positions that we can sub out okay. uh, with our substitutes to start if we have to. Um, bus drivers, we're always looking for more. Um, you, you quite frankly can't have too many. Um, and that's exactly if you drive by any Pasco school, Richland, Kennewick, everybody's on their reader boards, you know, bus drivers needed, bus drivers needed. I think one of the important things from our standpoint and one of the differences is, is we'll actually pay people while they're getting trained. Um, so oh, that's nice. people who want to go through that process, you know, you don't have to wait three months to start getting paid. We'll, we'll pay you during that training. And we're more than competitive with our salaries. In fact, I think uh, in some cases we're higher than some of the Tri-City schools for our bus drivers. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we can always use more. But right now for staff in general, um, surprisingly, we're probably in better shape to start this year than we were last year, even when we were online. Okay, so, that's, that's good to know because I know obviously there are some concerns about staffing yep. happening in other parts of the state so i was yep. curious about here um moving on to something that was said in the board meeting mr henry talked about homecoming being 
an outside event this year. Do we have any more details on that? We don't. Um, this was this was Mr. Henry's brainchild, and and more power to him for coming up with things that are outside of the box. I mean, the main thing is, and as anybody who's watching this that's gone to Benton City or gone, quite frankly, through a public school, public high school especially, right? Those social events they're critical are critical to kids and create lasting memories. So if there's a way for us to make these things happen within the guidelines that we're forced to live with, we're going to try and do it. Um, You know, the the great part about being outside, of course, is is the removal of masks and things like that. But then we have to take social distancing into account. Which is hard for slow dances. It's hard (laughs) at dances and as many people have Sorry, shared just, it, <laughs> as many people share during non-covid times my god that's what dan- that's high school dancing today well right. yeah so we need to we need to uh be a little careful with that and and simply make sure everything is is uh is following the guidelines i's are dotted t's are crossed and that kind of thing but it, you know, fundamentally it's about creating an opportunity that the kids will remember um you know, I think back to our drive-through graduation. Right. Regardless of whether you liked it, didn't like it, it was sad we had to do it, yes, but it's also, I guarantee, something that the kids in 10, 15, 20 years will never forget that experience. Right. COVID will, knock on wood, be a memory, but they're going to have something to say, yeah, we did this really cool graduation to try and get around uh, the mandates that we had to have in place. So that is true. Yep. That is very true. Um, along those lines, do we have anything else planned or ideas that are being uh, brought up for adapting to yet another COVID year? Not really. Um, we're in pretty good shape uh, with athletics right now. Um, I, I read this morning that there is a high school in Everett that has already had to cancel a football game because of a right. COVID I outbreak. Just, yeah, I just saw that. So we're going to knock on wood and hope that doesn't happen. Um, we know that high contact sports kids have to have to be masked up. You know, I think the bigger what we're really looking towards is the indoor activities, especially when we get to high contact and it's indoors. Uh, so the basketballs, the wrestling, things like that. We're going to have to have a testing pro- program and testing protocol that our nurse is going to oversee. Mm, yeah, just because um, I, I've related this story, I think, to you, Shane. You know, when I was a, a freshman at Connell High School and played on the JV basketball game or bas- basketball team, we had chicken pox go through the entire team and all of the kids... <laughs> Eight out of no, you eight didn't out tell of me, but I know it's you. yeah, eight out of twelve kids from practice got to chickenpox. So um, it can decimate a sports team, especially in a high contact area. So right. you know we want, especially with kids who are, aren't exhibiting symptoms, if we can find them sooner before it spreads to a whole team, then that's just a good thing. But that's so far the only the only uh, mandated testing by the WIAA for sports that we have to do. Okay, that's good. That- Yep. It's obnoxious having had that test a few times. Well, it, it, I understand and respect the necessity for it. Definitely. Yeah, you know, it is. And the, the one thing I would say, if I can go back for a second, is regarding students and vaccinations. 
um, there are entirely different rules for kids who have been vaccinated versus not as far as close contact tracing and time out of school. Right. So, you know, we had some kids, surprisingly not that many, uh, who came up COVID positive last spring. By far, the bigger impact was from close contacts and having to quarantine those kids. You know, we're being told now any, anyone who's fully vaccinated does not have to quarantine, even if they were a close contact. Hmm. Um, along those same lines, incentive there. Yeah, there's a little bit of incentive from the standpoint of, uh, you know, a non-vaccinated kid that has to go home for at least seven days and come back with a negative test. You know, honestly, the students could end up not missing even five minutes of class. Right. Um, once we ha once we know they're vaccinated, the quarantine's uh, not followed. You know, we are going to have um, rapid tests available. I used them last year um, for parents who requested them or staff who requested them. And there weren't a lot. I think right. I might have done. Oh, I'd say five or six, okay. actually, over the course of the entire time that we were back in school. But. You know, it's there again, trying to trying to have a service that's available if kids and or staff or parents need it. We can we can do some of that too. Excellent, good. Well, I'm glad that you know to know that there is stuff in place there because yeah, chickenpox would have been a mess in a in a basketball. So yeah, oh okay. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, side, kind of sidetracking. I I have that same kind of story, but it was in boot camp. Oh, there you we go. We had a whole platoon just get taken out because of chicken pox. Yep. So, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, at there, we, at the meeting, we, we had a new hire for Band Inquirer, mm -hmm. which I'm excited to meet. And A, we're going to have Band Inquirer uh, going on in during school. Um, can you tell me how that's going to work? Well, it, it's kind of... Uh... You know, for the longest time, it was simply you, you can't have band or choir. Right. Well, there's um, a lot of air moving. There's so a yeah. lot of air movement. Um, so what we're doing right now is, is we can, it, and it really is, it's a lot of the same material you, that you find in the masks that you can uh, put over the bells of the instruments themselves. So that will eliminate airflow out of the horns, out of the clarinets, out of the, such. Okay. Um, my pet peeve and my thinking all along was I was a trombone player. All that drool. <laughs> all that drool. And there's a reason there's a spit valve in the bottom right. of a trombone and in the bottom of a trumpet. Well, this one, it, it, and it made me laugh when I heard it. Um, anybody who's got new pets or has ever gone to a pet store knows that there are these pads that you buy. <laughs> Where you try and teach Fido to go on the pad, and it's a super absorbent and everything. I'm sorry. That's exact. That was my reaction. Having spent seven years in band and choir, just poor trombone is with a pad yep. underneath. Them. It's just funny. So that is exactly what we're going to use for for what has to happen. If you're going to play, you're going to have to release the spit valve. And we're going to have those pads available for all the horns and, and anybody else who needs them. So, uh, I'm just hearing the jokes already. Oh, I, I, absolutely. <laughs> and ironically, I, I guarantee somebody out there on Amazon 
is taking these pet pads that may sell for $2 and they're advertising them as, as banned acceptable pads and they're selling them for $10 and all they did was change the label. So <laughs> okay. I wish I would have thought of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just, I'm thinking of the, all the, my friends that were playing brass instruments. And yep. The visual of that. Okay. Yep. Getting back on topic here. We are running through these kind of quick, but we've just been with a couple hour meeting before this. Correct. So um, during the meeting, and I knew this, but I didn't know uh, the extent of it. It was talked about the administrators at the school having firearms training. Mm -hmm. uh, I understood there is quarterly training. Can you tell me a little bit more about the process of that? Well, it's pretty simple. In fact, if you if you uh, get onto our web page and look under school board and look under board policies, you can see uh, that the board actually has a policy on the requirements in order for uh, our administrators to carry firearms in school. And it's a pretty detailed policy. Um, it mandates trainings, certain types of firearms, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the formal name that we use for that is CERT training. So okay. Critical Incident Response Team Training, CERT, C-I-R-T. And so we've got a, a number of individuals who have volunteered for the program and is strictly volunteer. And we have a new trainer who's come on board. He's um, actually an active uh, sheriff in Yakima County. Okay. Um, he is the Yakima County firearms instructor for, for all the sheriffs. Oh. Okay. So he's got an extensive background in training. Um, and so one of the requirements is our, our administrators have to have a quarterly qualification. So they go to the range and they qualify for accuracy and things like that. And then one of the pieces that was added this year, and it's because yeah, definitely, I was because talk about this. Sheriff Maloney, um, he and we call him Justin. Uh, Justin uh, has been very successful with other school districts. He he, we went and observed him do a training in Toppenish, for instance, before we actually um, sat down and drafted a contract. We wanted to see see how it worked. Uh, Justin is very, um, he's very much a proponent that while going to a range is absolutely necessary for qualification and everything else, um, it's not until you know how to react once you're actually in your building that you know how you're going to react. And right. so this past week he did training for our for our staff in the in gap training, which is what all of our staff has baseball bats and last resorts. And you know, if somebody's coming through the door, they're gonna find a staff member ready to defend themselves. Um, prior, to, prior to the initial reaction of law enforcement, or even if our administrator isn't ready to be right there, it's a, it's a last ditch effort prior to right. them intervening. Um, so he trained our staff on gap. Um, and then at the same time, he took some of the staff through these scenarios in the buildings. Uh, obviously no kids, 
um, no parents in the halls or anything like that, just to get them acclimated to what exactly the types of things that they would hear and see how it would be when they're in the school and it happens. And just to make sure people understand, they're going to be firing blanks in the building. So yeah, they he he fired a couple of blanks um, through his 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 training service gun um, because and and anyone who's ever dealt with firearms knows this. Um, when I'm out shooting clay pigeons, it certainly doesn't seem that loud to me. Right. If you if you you know fire off a 12 gauge in this room that we're in right now, it's an entirely different story. And being a former army, army man, you would know exactly Marine. what I'm talking. Marines, Marine. excuse me, my, my apologies <laughs> to you and everyone watching. Um, <laughs> um, being a former Marine, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're on the range and, and sound has the ability to move away from you, it's a lot different than if you're in a close quarters. Definitely. Um, so he wanted to make sure our, our folks who are responding to an event understand and have that idea of this is what an event is going to sound like if it's inside. Yeah, I, I'm, I have all sorts of feelings about the subject, but I'm glad that they're doing that kind of training. I think that it actually has a higher level of safety knowing exactly what it's going to sound like. In that Correct. Event. Correct. Absolutely. Um, and you know, the program itself, um, has, has been used in other districts. It's been, you know, we've had the CERT program for a number of years. I do have a question. Yeah. Are several of our areas have the administrators with, uh, concealed or weapons training in this? On the east side, I, I just, in fact, I thought it was unique for us. But. No, it's it's it it's not as unique as you might think, and it's certainly not as unique um, as I th initially thought. Um, you have you have I want to say there are seven schools down the Yakima Valley up to Natchez that all have a program of one sort oh. or another. Um, Toppenish is definitely the one that is most like ours with um, the, well, obviously the trainer being the same. And in fact, our previous trainer also trained in Toppenish. So, um, but yeah, you can, you can go down, going down the highway, uh, there's a better than 50, 50 chance between here and the other side of Yakima that you're gonna go through a district where uh, that kind of training is. is That's interesting. Is, I, I had no idea. Yeah, and, and the thing is, and I, I, I need to say this up front, you know, it's not something that we're going to advertise and it's not something that, you know, we're not going to say necessarily how many people we have trained at any one time um, because that's just internal information that, right. that we need to have. But well, you don't um, want people to know which building is safe and not safe for attacks. Yeah. And I, I can say I, I've and I've shared this with the board. There's no place on our campuses right now where we can't intervene if we needed to. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, as you go up and down the valley, and every time I go to Yakima for uh, a meeting at the ESD in Yakima, for instance, I, I can see the signs. And, yep, that I know is a, is a critical incident team district, cert team district, or this oh. one. And it really, I think, says something about the communities that, um, 
that embrace and, and quite frankly demand that there's a, that level of intervention available, especially when you have, um, you know, I, I, even in our previous meeting, we're, we're 17 miles from Prosser and what is it, 12 miles from Richland, you said? Yeah, 12 miles from Richland, 13, I think. So depending on the time of day and how the duties are being assigned and where the wreck is on the highway, um, it could be a bit before calling 911 gets you an actual Benton County Sheriff. Right. Um, I think there are probably times, and we've discussed this, where uh, depending on the time of day and, and where everybody's at, we could see a West Richland police officer responding before we saw a see a Benton County. All that being said is we have individuals who are trained on a regular basis to intervene before, uh, if necessary, before the law enforcement comes. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Learn something new every day. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, jumping to the next question, and I think it was brought up because there's not going to be, either there was a change this year about truancy laws or something. Honestly, I don't even know what truancy is. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of curious, what is truancy and then fall into how does that affect what was just signed? So you always hear about um, excused or unexcused absences. Okay. So I will give you a scenario. Um, my sons all had braces. So all throughout the, you know, the, I want to say they started in seventh or eighth grade and got them off when they right. were freshmen or sophomores, depending on which one. They go to the orthodontist, they miss a couple hours of school, they come back, they bring a note um, from mom, from me, depending if it was my own school, they I would just sign the, the piece of paper myself. But right. um, so that's an excused absence. Okay. So in my kid's case, and it's happened a couple of different times where they didn't bring a note back from the orthodontist. I was in a meeting and my wife who was teaching across town was doing something where she couldn't pick up the phone. Right. That's the same absence, but that's an unexcused absence. Okay. No one, no one has said that, yes, you know, Owen okay. was really at the orthodontist. In which case, and this happens to parents all the time, um, they simply call in the next day or they send a note the next day and, and the student goes to the main office. And even though it was unexcused yesterday, right. here's my note, now it's excused. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Far. Truancy is technically when those unexcused absences, not only are they not given a note uh, to come back in, but it becomes a pattern of behavior that looks to be intentional and allowed on the part of parents. Oh, okay. The, uh, I got to admit, the allowed part is very rare. I, I rarely meet a parent. In, in fact, in 21, 22 years of being a school administrator, I think I can count on one hand the number of parents who actually said it was okay for their kids to be not at school. So that's a rarity. Most often, parents don't know what's going on, and a student, usually a secondary student, uh, is skipping school or deciding to take an extra long lunch of an hour or two more. 
parents don't know about it, they come back to school, they sign in to get, a, to get a note to go back to class, they don't have an excuse, and then there's a pattern of behavior that they see this is happening right. two, three, four, five times a month, and in which case that is true to this truancy. Those okay. are unexcused absences where you really don't have a legitimate reason for being gone other than you just wanted to go do something. So, in the extreme cases, what would happen is in fact there's still a law on the books that we have to notify parents when their kids aren't in school so either in a personal phone call or an automated phone call that goes home and says to the parents guardians of right um owen peterson you know your son or daughter was absent this period this period and this period please contact the office to take care of this absence so those we have to make those phone calls on any absence that's a law so then the other kicker becomes if you have two unexcused absences in a month or 10 in a year there has to be a meeting okay. and it's during that meeting that the school and this is true of any school in the state of washington by the way we then have to tell parents, if your son or daughter is not coming to school regularly, uh, first off, what can we do to help? How can we do a schedule change? How can we um, work with your student who's also maybe she's 17, she's got a job and there's a schedule thing that needs to happen? Um, how can we help you fix that? But please understand, if this continues, that we have our bylaw required to file a petition with the Benton Franklin County Juvenile Justice Center, and they will then take that petition, turn it over to a judge, and you will be called to come to court. Everything I've said up to this point, nothing has changed. Okay. We are still required to do that. All of those things are still a part of the law. They're a part of, I mean, if you've gone through a high school recently, you've gotten this speech about make sure your kid isn't turned into juvie. Right. Where the big change is coming this year, um, and trust me, as a big high school principal in Walla Walla and as an administrator in Kennewick and administrator of Pasco, I went to plenty of court hearings where kids who were habitually truant from school faced potential detention time if they didn't change their ways. And it takes quite a while, it used to take quite a while to get to that point, but over the course of a school year, if you kept going back to court and kept going back to court, eventually they were gonna say, you know what? You're in detention for the weekend. So, long story short, and it's, I'm sorry, it's been a long story. Um, no, I, it, <laughs> this is, for me, it's interesting. Somebody else might be skipping to the next time. That's point. okay. Um, basically, what, what the state of Washington has come out and said is that that juvenile justice can no longer detain uh, kids in their detention facilities for truancy. It's a, it is considered non-criminal in its offense. Right. And quite frankly, the, the, the state of Washington, if anybody's interested and wants to go Google this, um, Washington had one of the highest rates of juvenile incarceration in the nation. Really? 
and it was predominantly due to the fact that kids were being incarcerated for truancy. So, the juvenile justice program, the juvenile justice facility, does its job um, when laws are broken and crimes occur, kids go to juvie. That's the way it is, that's the way it has been, that's the way it will be until they come up with something else. But no longer will schools and students, um, specifically, no longer will students be put into detention potentially with kids who were criminal, made, had criminal offenses, they aren't gonna be put in there, it's not the same thing. It's not okay. a criminal offense, so therefore they're not going to detain them. Okay, that makes sense. But you just yeah. brought up a piece that's like critical, because I was like, okay, how do you, why is this so that we're not introducing non-criminal kids to criminal kids? Correct. Okay, that I can follow and that makes sense. I think, I think another uh, uh, good example of the type of scenario would be, um, you know, if you get a reckless driving, uh, if you're arrested for reckless driving because you were going 150 miles an hour on the highway and you shouldn't have been and they, they take you in, they don't automatically send you to Walla Walla. True. You know, you're not going in with the same population. So in this case, when you're talking about a student who hasn't committed a crime, there's really no, uh, at least this is the judgment of the current attorney general and the current Washington state legislatures that they don't want to introduce kids into a detention format with criminals, kids who are criminals or kids who committed a crime allegedly. I will right. throw that in. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. They don't, they, they see one of these things is not like the other. Okay. It's the best way to put it. Okay. Um, that, so it's, we're going to have to go out of our way as a community to offer options for kids, um, basically to keep from uh, having to go to juvenile justice because you might still have to go before a judge. It's just that the judge at the time will not re remand anyone to detention. So we're, as a community, we've got to come up with a, computer, a community action group um, that probably will piggyback on one of the ones we already have. Yeah, um, you're talking about the Coalition for a Healthy Benton City. Correct. Maybe. That, that coalition could be, um, could be used in the same idea, with the same idea that kids who are habitually truant, before they ever go to court, they come before a committee of some sort, the committee of, of people listens to what the issues are, tries to really address what those issues are, and tries to come up with solutions. Um, I know you can't specifically answer this at this time, but I, I have been curious if the FORGE mentoring prog program would be some way of dealing with the truancy issue, having some mentor for that individual to have regular connection with. Mm -hmm. Not just, oh, you're now a parole kid, but an actual Right. mentor who can help you know resolve issues as a a peer or a friend that the student can work with no absolutely any any program regardless of the name or the acronym um, if you can get a student connected with a positive relationship with be it a peer or an adult um, any positive relationship is going to help out okay um, and, and that's really been that's why when I have staff meetings, when I'm meeting with, with individual school staffs, 
you know, I, I try and hammer home that the most important thing that a teacher can do before they ever start teaching is uh, be positive in class and try and create a positive relationship with the kids. Because if you have that positive relationship, you're much more open to try things. Um, I think one of, the, one of the hardest things to learn is that failure is okay, um, especially academically, um, because it means you're trying. You may not be successful, but you have to try. Please try. Please try. <laughs> try and fail. And, and again, it's, it's very important to impress on, on parents and on teachers and anyone who, who works with kids the trying is the most important thing. And if the kids don't even want to try, <coughs> you've created that barrier to be able to then learn from that failure. So really getting, getting people to react, you know what, that Johnny, that wasn't the right answer, but you did a great job of working through the problem. Right here is where the mistake was. If, if, if everything else was perfectly correct, good job, but here's where the mistake happened, try it again but correct that part. Okay. Um, you know, and I can honestly say you and I probably going through school, we didn't have a lot of those, those warm and fuzzy interactions as much. No, I, I, I can, I have one eye on the top of my head that yeah. I could tell you about, but I, that's not this meeting. Right. Um, but, and again, it's something I share with staff and I, I know that um, it, it, it's just a fact that kids aren't the same today as they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, we can't expect to teach them the same way. Right. Um, I loved school growing up, but there were, there were some folks who had been there an awful long time um, that wouldn't be teaching in the same environment that way today. It simply wouldn't yeah. be allowed. So. Uh, just positive reinforcement and getting kids to step outside of their shell, outside the box a little bit is, is really where it's at as far as getting kids to be successful. So that going back to truancy, that's where we're talking about is um, too many times kids who are habitually skipping school or not going to class, they don't want to tell us the why. Right. No, that makes total sense. It's either personally embarrassing or it's derogatory towards a staff member or a principal or something like that. But somewhere along the line, the kid got turned off. Well, and it's just at that age, you're terrified of having to have your head pop up above the rest of the people. Correct. Anyways. Correct. You are. So it, it's if if any of these mentoring opportunities, any positive relationship, those will go a long way because if you can break down what is the barrier that's keeping them from going to fifth period if you're at a high school or or coming to school at eight o'clock in the morning even as a middle schooler um, because maybe mom and dad think Johnny's getting on the bus and and they're walking through the door and something happens on the way right okay those are the important conversations to have okay hey I had another question but we're out of time as it <laughs> is so okay I appreciate the time and look forward in a couple of weeks to see how school kicked off and everything. Yep. So thanks again. And, Appreciate it. Uh, talk to you later. Absolutely.